Anybody started playing Christmas music in July? Oh, you're those people. You're those people. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad uh, that there are people here today who are excited about Christmas. Uh, you know, um, uh, if you, if you uh, have never had as many kids as I've had, you learn very quickly that kids have a great way of inspiring you when it comes to Christmas. Uh, their persistence is beautiful. Uh, their zeal unmatched. Uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is wonderful, wonderful. And there's so much joy uh, uh, associated with the season of Christmas. So in order uh, to make sure that everybody stays joyous, I got a couple jokes. Just going to see how this works. It's a rough crowd in 8 o'clock. I'm just going to tell you right now. Rough. I think you guys could do better. All right. Did anybody hear about the mom uh, who, who she, she had to, to, to rush her son to the doctor because he was terrified during the holidays? It turns out he was claustrophobic. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Okay, all right. I don't know if I should do the second one. (laughs) Do you know why you never see Santa in the hospital? Turns out he has private elf care. Okay, all right. Uh, fine, I'll do that one in third service. All right, fine. All right. Oh, I love Christmas. It's filled with joy. And sometimes when people get filled with joy at Christmas, um, they can't keep secrets. Is anyone sitting to a person who is a terrible secret keeper at Christmas time? I know. Don't look at them. Don't point them out. You're not supposed to do that. But everybody knows who they are. They're always telling secrets. Well, today I want to share with you a message about one of the worst secret keepers when it comes to Christmas. I mean, this guy was uh, just such a terrible secret keeper when it came to Christmas. He started talking about Christmas 700 years early. I mean, you cannot keep a secret. God starts talking to you about something he's going to do in just a couple centuries. And immediately this guy begins to rattle off these secrets. And of course, you know this guy. His name's Isaiah. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, begins to give us some secrets about Christmas. And today I want to speak to you a message called, For Unto Us. Jesus, our gift. And, and, and he was a terrible secret keeper. And the, there, honestly, there is one reason why I'm sharing you. I, I'm, I am really not, not the guy who preaches traditional messages during traditional times. That's just not my makeup. I pray, I say, Lord, what are you saying? And the Lord spoke something to me at the end of November. He said, in the month of December, you will see the manifestation of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
And this begins to speak to us about the ministry of Jesus. If you read it in all, and we'll read it this morning together. Uh, but today, I want you to see some simple truths that have a profound impact on us as it relates to this moment when Isaiah is letting the secret out. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says this, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want you to know that I believe that in this hour that there are some things that we will see. We will actually see the governmental influence of Jesus come upon this planet. And when we see the influence of the kingdom of God, here's what the scripture says. It says, it will be ordered, established, and there will be judgment and justice. I believe that in this hour, we are going to see that influence of Jesus. We are going to see this, his, his dominion, his right to rule. That's what this word government in Hebrew means. This right to rule. We're seeing it and its influence. However, because it's Christmas time, oftentimes what we do with these scriptures is we read them poetically and yet never investigate them. And sometimes in the simplicity of statements, we actually, uh, we actually just, we just cruise right over it and we miss the beauty that God is speaking to us about Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about the joy that comes when you have this revelation of Jesus. Here's this first revelation that Isaiah gives, and this is it. You need, this is a very simple revelation, and yet it has a profound impact on the way that we live today. Jesus was born as a child. Jesus was born at a as a child. And this should bring joy to the Christmas season. It says, a child is born. Now, I know that God did not consult Hollywood when it came to the right way to bring Jesus into the world. I mean, personally, if I were going around looking, I'd go find J.J. Abrams. It would be very epic. I would make sure that Ryan Johnson, by the way, stays way away from the Jesus story. That's only for Star Wars nerds. I would, I, I would make sure that this was an epic moment. And God says, no, when he comes, he's coming as a child. And there's something beautiful. He says, he's a child. And then we get the, the, the scene later on where Mary 
this message of Jesus coming as a child becomes very personal to her in Luke chapter 1. Many of you know the story. It's when Gabriel is sent from God to deliver a message to her in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man, that means engaged uh, to a man, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at, her, at his saying. Now let me, let me he, he said this, rejoice highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. Like, who gets upset at that saying? Unless you've been walking with God long enough to know that when he steps into your life, he's not just looking to just add a little something to your life. He's actually, when he steps in in a major way, he turns everything upside down for his glory. And this is what he did for her. He turned everything upside down. And she was troubled at him considering what manner of greeting this was. Guys, don't ever try to pull something sly on your wife by giving some grand greeting to her. Don't do it. She will know because somehow the same suspicion that was in Mary is in your wife. <laughs> She'll know what manner of greeting is this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Here is this moment, and Gabriel is saying, listen, this has nothing to do with natural effort. What is about to be produced in you is coming out of a supernatural encounter with God. By the way, I didn't say this earlier, but I feel like I'm supposed to say it now. If you ever want to give birth to something supernatural, it will come from an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It will cause something supernatural to come out of you that has nothing to do with your circumstance. And here in this moment, now she gets the scene that, that Christ is coming through her, and it's supernatural, and he's coming as a child in her house. This is, what, this is why the scripture gives him the title Emmanuel, God with us. But when I read the Bible, I read the Bible in a way that is kind of, I investigate it. God, why a child? Why did you come? A child. And as I looked at Isaiah 9 with fresh eyes, I remembered uh, some of my uh, some of the books and studies of 
about Christ from years ago, and I remembered this one statement which made a profound impact on my own heart. You see, it was at the birth of Christ that one character trait of God had, had, had been a little bit mysterious to people, to humans. It was this. He came as a child to show his humility. They knew God as the great God who would part seas and bring uh, plagues and liberate nations. And he was this great powerful God. And yet, they didn't know God as humble. You see, when someone's humble, they're approachable. They're not standoffish. It seems as if they, that, that you and them, they, they're, they're, there wouldn't be a divide when there's humility. Philippians 2 says this implicitly, verses 5 through 8. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And by the way, his mindset is eternal. Who being in the very nature God, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Listen to this. He made himself. He made himself. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, he made himself. This is so good. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, he had to come as a child because Jesus' humility would lead to our salvation. Jesus' humility would lead to our salvation. Romans 5.19 gives us a clear picture into why he did it the way he did it. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a few people I want to talk to in heaven. Anybody got any heroes? Yeah, I got some heroes I want to talk to. I got to talk to Peter about the whole walking on water thing. I'm like, dude, what was that like? I want to hear all about, you know, Moses and parting the Red Sea. I want to hear it. But there are a couple people for a long time I wanted to talk to. Adam and Eve. I mean, some of the stuff I have had to go through because of what they did in the garden. I'm like, I'm... Jesus, thank you for bringing me here. Where's Adam? <laughs> I thought that way till I had a revelation of Romans 5. Because I always thought, God, why are we all paying the price for their failure? And God said, that was my idea. That was my idea. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean it was your idea? 
Romans 5, 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Oh, don't you see it's the beauty and the wisdom of God. If one man could cause all of humanity to fall, then one who comes in the form of man can redeem them all. That's the beauty of God. That's why Isaiah is so excited. And he says, he's coming as a child in humility. Because what man did in error in the garden, he will fix. Being found and made in the likeness of man. And he will redeem many. He was found as a child. This ought to bring you joy, but the next statement is wonderful. It says, and for unto us a son is given. Jesus was given as a son. You say this feels simple, this feels, this feels rudimentary, but I'm going to tell you it's, it's central to everything. You need to understand Jesus wasn't just coming as a rabbi, as a teacher. He, he wasn't only coming in divinity. He was coming as a son. Notice how important sonship is in some of the most known scriptures in all of the Bible. John 3, 16, 17, and 18, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 16 son. Verse 17 son. Verse 18 son. There is something to be, to be uh, that God wants us to know about why he had to come as a son. Here, is, here it is. Jesus was sent as a son because he wanted a redeemed family. He wanted a redeemed family. Not just an institution called the church. But the very building blocks of humanity called family. He wanted a redeemed family. In John 1.12, it says it this way. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. He is, this is what he is saying. Those who believe in Jesus get a brand new. DNA you get a brand new DNA by the way there's pictures of this in scripture what, what you find in the Old Testament uh, uh, you'll find in the new and the, the reflection of this story of sonship those who believe 
is actually found in a very profound story. Probably many of you know it. It's the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah being this prophet of God who is used mightily. He has a, a, uh, like a, 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 a spiritual uh, son that he's, he's raising up. And you guys know the story, right? God's about to take uh, Elijah up. And he says to Elijah, what would you have me to do for you? And Elisha says this, that a double portion would fall from you to me. Now, we're all good Gentiles, so we just think of that numerically. We're like, whoa, man, you did some good stuff. I'd like to do twice as much, right? And, and we just think, whoa, double portion. Okay, that's not exactly what that means. Let me phrase that another way. That's not what that means at all. What Elisha was saying to Elijah was this. He was saying, I want to become your firstborn son. You see, in Jewish culture, a double portion of inheritance fell to the oldest son. He said, I want to no longer be Elisha the Tishbite. I want to be Elisha, Elijah's son. How do you know that? How do I know this is the fact? Here's why. Because Elijah's answer to Elisha is this. You've asked a hard thing. Why? What? This brother just told 800 prophets that their God was in the bathroom, called fire down out of heaven, and killed all of them. How is this hard? You called fire down out of heaven. You just cleansed the land of false prophets. And this guy says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Why is that hard? He's saying, here's what he was asking for. He goes, I want a New Testament experience in an Old Testament age. I want a New Testament experience. These are prophets. They see what's coming. And he says, I want to be your son. You see, he says, if you're there whenever I go, it'll be done for you. Why? Because it takes God to change someone's nature. It takes God to change someone's nature. And when he changes your nature, he gives you a new title. You go from being a slave to sin. You, you go from being this slave to flesh and slave to doing things that do not honor God. You move from slave. You get a brand new DNA. Why? Because a son gave himself for you to make you Part of the family. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34. He says, He says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave. There's the title to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Do you hear that? A slave has no permanent place in the family, but oh man, in Christmas time, you ought to rejoice at this one. 
but a song, a, a, a son belongs to the family forever. A son belongs, I tell you, you ought to rejoice. If you're born again and you've got new DNA, you belong to the family of God forever. And the next verse is really critical. Remember, he's coming as what? A child and a son. Verse 36, and if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. He says, I'm taking you out of that slave ship DNA, and I'm putting in you a sonship DNA, which will make you free. When I come, and when he came as a son, it was so that we could become children of God and receive a brand new nature through him. It is so good. That's reason to rejoice. That's reason to rejoice in this season. Jesus, this gift, taking us from being these ones who have no place in the family of God. And he makes us family because he comes as a son. And this last truth that really ought to bring you joy We actually move from, uh, you know, what Jesus did in the past to who he is now. Let me just put this to you simply. Jesus is all you need. He's all you need. He's everything you need. Can, can, can we just... Can we just push pause on the busyness of this moment and the busyness of this season and and, and begin to understand that Jesus really is everything that we need? If I could give you counsel in this hour, it would be this. Please keep your eyes on Jesus. It's not time to check out on church. It's not time to check out on prayer. It's not time to check out on loving your neighbor and sharing the gospel. It's not time to check out and say, oh yeah, I'll get back to that when I'm done, you know, doing the family stuff and going through the motions many times. It's in, it's in uh, seasons of, of, of where, where we celebrate of Christmas and Easter that many believers just kind of check out and they say, oh, I kind of know what's coming. I kind of know the message. Here's what you need to understand. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus in this moment. And when we do, we'll see his justice come down. We will see him rule and reign. We will see his benevolent influence on this region. But we have to keep our eyes on him. And he is everything that we need. I love how Isaiah, man, he is so giddy. He just, it it just bubbles out of him. It says this, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this moment, you have to understand, Isaiah is a prophet. So his his role in life is to listen. And he sees a picture of the Messiah becoming a child. And he sees the picture of Messiah becoming a son. But this next part of what got him so excited about the first Christmas wasn't a picture, it was a sound. It wasn't a picture, it's a sound. And this is the sound. He will be called 
All of a sudden, voices in the future in perfect worship and adoration of who Jesus is begin to say words that that the prophet would pen. Wonderful. He hears it again. He hears, I worship you, Jesus, counselor. I worship you, Messiah, mighty God. I worship. Prince of Peace. He's like, oh, he's called these things. Let me walk you through some of these that I believe are going to help you just experience the fullness of joy that God wants us to experience in the gift that Jesus is to us. First, he's called Wonderful. Let me give you some language that perhaps you would, that would move your heart. He's extraordinary. He's extraordinary. Oh, don't ever treat Jesus like he's ordinary. Because he's extraordinary. This this word, uh, wonderful, it also means this, supernatural. When he's wonderful, he is supernatural. Do you think of him, when you think of Christmas, you're like, oh, God gave me a supernatural gift. This word, wonderful, also means beyond your thinking. That means that when you arrive at a thought or a revelation, usually by the grace of God, uh, God says, oh yeah, and then I keep going. I go further. I am wonderful. When something is wondrous, it means that you could actually stare at it forever and never get bored. Just ask the angels around the throne who seem to be uttering the same word Over and over, it's not because they have a small vocabulary. It is because the depths of God are revealed at that throne. And all they can come up to see, you know, all they can come up with in words is this word holy, 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 holy. There it is again, holy. And they see him in a new way. Why? Because he is wonderful. I love what I love this next one. He is counsel. When is the last time you thought of Jesus as counselor? The one through whom perfect wisdom flows. Anybody ever got some bad advice? Anybody ever given yourself bad advice? But Jesus comes, and the scripture says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. I think in this Christmas season, we need to turn our face to Jesus and say, would you release to me the perfect counsel of your wisdom in my life? Would you release that to me? Because you are wonderful, you're a supernatural, and you are Counselor. Next, he is described as the mighty God. The mighty God. And really, uh, in modern vernacular, there would only be one way to describe him as uh, in a modern way, and that would be this. Our hero God. This is what this word mighty means. It is our hero God. I mean, when is the last time you gathered around the Christmas tree and the gifts and you see it all there and you're saying, ah, Jesus is my hero. 
But the picture that Isaiah sees 700 years in advance is a mighty warrior clinging to a sword called the Word of God who has never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. And he says, he will be called mighty God. And this is who he is. And I don't know what kind of battle you're in. I just would invite our hero God into the fight. He is also, according to Isaiah and the voice that he heard, it was everlasting father. Now this does not stand in stark contrast to his calling as a son. Because in his calling as a son, Jesus was the perfect expression of the Father. Listen, he said these words, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But it's not just that he is an expression of the Father. He is the eternal Father. That means he goes on and on and on. He is never ending in the way he fathers us, in the way he cares. Never ending. He isn't giving up on raising you, no matter how old you are. He is our father. Never ending. Eternal. And this last one is powerful. It says, he will be called the Prince of Peace. Now for us, at first glance, we, say, we hear the words peace and we, we immediately think artillery, war, and there is a right application for that. However, for the Jew who would have heard this or read this in the original text, they would have read this word. He is the Prince of Shalom. And shalom carries a different weight and a different influence and meaning. It denotes a fullness, a togetherness, and oneness that only God himself can produce. You see, Jesus, our gift, wants us to have oneness with him. You see, Romans 10 says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's saying, listen, I'm the prince of peace. And when you were outside of relationship with me, I came and paid the price on the cross so that you and I did not have to be enemies but we could be family members. The scripture then uh, tells us in, in Corinthians that each one of us now carry an assignment. Now listen to this. This is beautiful. Speaking of this prince of peace who brings all things back together. Verse 18, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Reconciled, brought us back together. That's shalom. Brought, brought us back together. Reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. I, as an ambassador today, implore you on Christ's behalf, the Prince of Peace, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and have peace with God. A few days ago, I got this phone. It's new. I'm still investigating it. It does way more than I know. My 11-year-old knows, but I don't know. I was gloriously shocked to find that I could zoom the camera with my thumb. I kind of feel like some of you need to reinvestigate Jesus. That there's something new about him he wants you to see. Something new for you to experience. Not just to, not just in your knowledge of him but in your experience with him. He does more than you know. That's why he is such a gift to us. And that's why Isaiah couldn't keep silent. And my prayer for every person in this room today is simply this that you would begin to see him for who he is and what he does. And that you would begin to grow in the knowledge of the one who was given unto us. And that you would experience the fullness of his ministry, which first reconciles us to God and then empowers us by his spirit to live as sons and daughters in this, in this world, representing him as his ambassadors, inviting others into that same relationship. I want us to do something for a moment.